Hello and welcome to Tea with Mama Cash, because feminist activism works. I'm Zora, the executive director at Mama Cash, and today is the International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers. And so we wanted to take the opportunity to bring the voices of sex worker rights activists into the studio. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, thank you, Sora, for inviting us and helping amplifying the voices of sex workers. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? We have two guests today. Okay, my name is Vera Rodriguez. Um, I'm a former sex worker. I've been a sex worker for 16 years. Uh, I've done uh, a lot of activism in the United Kingdom, where I was based. And um, when I applied for a job for the Red Umbrella Fund, which is hosted by Mama Cash, I moved to the Netherlands, which is where I am now. Uh, the Red Umbrella Fund, which is where we work, it's the only fund by and for sex workers. And there'll be more to come about that. Hi, my name is Velvet December. Um, this started out as my burlesque name and it became my sex worker name um, when I was a student sex worker. And I'm a sex worker rights activist and I work for Proud, the Dutch sex worker union, as their advocacy coordinator. It's really great to have you both on the program today. So thanks very much for joining us. And I think many people will be wondering, what exactly is sex work? Could you say a little bit about that from your perspectives? Well, I can start if you want. Uh, to uh, Sex work is an umbrella term. And um, it's, it's very inclusive to everyone who is providing any sort of sexual services. Um, in that sense, uh, strippers can be uh, also um, proclaimed that they are sex workers, um, also um, webcamers, but um, and it's also a protective term because unfortunately, uh, the highest stigma goes to those ones who decide to do full service. Uh, full service is basically having sex uh, with a client, and it's what uh, the law will consider as prostitution. Uh, some sex workers do not feel uh, comfortable with the word prostitute, and therefore we have a, a kind of protective term, which is normally a red umbrella, and that includes to everyone that, that works in the sex industry. I hope you agree with that definition, Velvet. Yes, yes, of course. And uh, it's a term of self-determination. So um, someone who works in the adult industry might not identify themselves as sex worker. Um, but that's that's fine. Uh, an organization such as Proud is, of course, still there for you. Um, but it is a term of, of self-identification. Sex work um, is called sex work to stress that it concerns work and that the people doing so uh, deserve workers' rights. And the term was coined by a sex worker, Carol Lee, uh, in the 70s, I believe, to really stress that it concerns work. I think it's really strong. And is it true also, um, related to what you were saying, Vera, that um, because it's an umbrella term, it's a way for, for people who are doing many different kinds of things to still be included and also not to have to be very specific about what exactly they're doing because the stigma is very high. Exactly. Uh, I am self-identified as a sex worker and uh, over this, my 16 years as a career as a sex worker, I've done many, many forms of sex work, 
but depending on the context, I don't need to specify what uh, sex work is part of my identity right now uh, because I've been out uh, to my family and friends for many years. But uh, I don't necessarily need to give any details of, of the choices I've, I've done over my career. And so is it a way to also build solidarity across an entire sector of workers? Yes, although there is this thing called the hierarchy, uh, where sex workers um, in different uh, sectors of the industry might look up or down uh, on each other. Um, yeah, and the term sex worker is, of course, uh, inclusive, but yeah, there's hierarchy and infighting in any marginalized community, I think. Mm -hmm. mm. And can you say a little bit about... The So many people think people are forced into sex work and there's a difference between choosing sex work and being forced into it. And a lot of the anti-trafficking efforts tend to conflate those things. Can you say a bit about that from your perspective? Indeed, uh, the term work, the term sex work and, and trafficking, it, unfortunately, they get conflated together very often. But it is a challenge indeed because uh, uh, the governments are making more and more difficult for for migrants to go into other countries to work. Therefore, they're making it more difficult to to do it. So, a lot of people in the adult industry decide to take illegal ways to get into a country. Uh, but that is not trafficking. That is uh, their choice because of the conditions of of work. I'm sure you want you can add more things to it as well. Velvet. Yeah, yeah, exactly what you mentioned. That's that's the problem because according to the definition, the consent of the person doesn't matter. But of course, in reality, it does. So uh, and there's there's a difference between trafficking and smuggling as well that is oftentimes not addressed. Um, and conflating sex work and trafficking is very, very harmful. And we see that now both in the public and political discourse in the Netherlands, um, that every policy that is proposed on sex work is actually about anti-trafficking measures. And trafficking is such a more nuanced topic than um, people would like to think or, or are informed about. Um, and I, I usually give the following example. Let's imagine that you're a trans woman living in Brazil and you would like to build a better life for yourself in Europe. And as we know, a lot of trans people are murdered in Latin America. So um, somehow you find your way to Europe. You don't have the legal means to do so. So you agree to get to Europe with a smuggler. This is illegal traveling and is therefore um, a crime against the state which you enter. But once you arrive in Europe, uh, it could be that the smuggler takes your passport away and says that you need to pay, let's say, 10,000 euros in order to get it back and continue your way. So you either take up sex work or you're forced into that to pay off this debt. So you've consented to the travel, but of course not to the situation of exploitation or financial exploitation. Um, this situation is called debt bondage, um, and that is what makes smuggling into trafficking. So once this debt is paid off, you get your password back, you continue your way. Uh, you might want to work in sex work or just find that that is the option for you at the moment. Um, so it could be that someone who has traveled to Europe through this route is now working uh, behind the windows in Amsterdam. 
So by definition, they would be a victim of trafficking. But in reality, they wouldn't be better off by being taken out of the work and deported back to Brazil. Because, you know, if they've, they've already exited the situation of exploitation. There might be some, some needs uh, to be addressed uh, about that situation. But the situation this person is in right now is not necessarily harmful and it might be a success story and they might be building their life and saving up uh, to build their dream and be fine with doing sex work. So it's it's a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex. It's not just, you know, uh, angry white men taking people into a van and pushing them behind the windows here. That's that's just not how it happens. Mm. And um, unfortunately, it's those anti-trafficking uh, policies, the ones that uh, end up invading workplaces, um, um, showing the identity of sex workers into the press, for instance, deporting people that have agreed to do some consent, uh, consented work and... Um, and it is it is a discourse that is harmful. It comes it, it wants to come from a good place, I want to think, but it is harmful for the people in the industry. Yeah, it's harmful in, in denying the agency of the worker. Um, it, it really portrays uh, oftentimes the woman as the victim without agency, without being able to decide and um, no one could imagine someone choosing to do this job, even if it would be out of survival. And it's, yeah, always problematized. And this maybe brings us to a next topic and the reason we wanted to have you on the program today. Why is this a feminist issue? This is a feminist issue, issue particularly because uh, so many feminists... Uh, um, are anti-sex work because they believe that most people in the industry are being trafficked or that the women that decide to do sex work suffer from false consciousness and there are much better jobs for them out there. I think we need to see sex work in, in with the intersection of capitalism, with the intersection of patriarchy, with the intersection of white privilege, we need to see the topic of sex work in the context of so many other realities. Um, in the history of feminism, uh, sex workers and, and trans women have been historically excluded. And that is why uh, sex work matters within the feminist discourse, because in our eyes, without sex workers, there are no, there is no feminism, because we are also feminists and we are also here to make a better place. Yes, yeah, so to elaborate on uh, the false consciousness that uh, Vera mentioned, this is what I mentioned earlier, the denying of the agency of the worker, um, denying that someone is able to, uh, to decide for themselves to choose the work. Um, and of course, denying someone's agency mm. is very unfeminist to me. Mm. In fact, I want to quote uh, a, a famous activist uh, who is Georgina Orellano. Uh, she says these things in, in many talks, and it's very inspiring that one definition of feminism could be to allow women and, and trans and, and anyone that is not patriarchy uh, to have decisions uh, 
to make decisions that another person might not necessarily make for themselves. That's feminism. Feminism should protect uh, women's and trans choices. Um, and and this is why uh, sex work is a feminist issue, because we need to understand that we are not promoting here sex work and saying that this is a, a choice for everyone, but it is a choice that we have made in our lives at some point. And just because I've made that choice, I should not be excluded from feminist spaces and discourses. For today's episode, we reached out to a sex worker rights group that Mama Cash supports. Here's what they had to say. Hi, everyone. This is Charlotte and Laura, and we are from the ECP. The English Collective of Prostitutes is a network of sex workers working both on the streets and indoors, campaigning for decriminalization and safety. We fight against being treated like criminals. We've helped sex workers win against charges of soliciting, brothel keeping and controlling, the last two most often used against women who are working together for safety. Most sex workers are mothers trying to do their best for their children. We campaign against austerity cuts and for housing and other survival resources so that any of us can leave prostitution if and when we want. As sex workers, we know firsthand what we want to help, what we need to help us win rights for ourselves. Decriminalisation would increase safety and enhance health. It would stop rapists as sex workers could report violence without fear of arrest. Decriminalisation will also protect immigrant sex workers, vulnerable victims of rapes and exploitation. It can also end criminal records. We campaign against the Nordic model that criminalises clients. Criminalising any part of the sex industry makes sex workers more vulnerable. And decriminalisation works. New Zealand decriminalised sex work in 2003 with verifiable success. Migrant sex workers in our group are currently campaigning against rates, detention and deportation. We are about to publish our newly updated right sheet against deportation and have been circulating our dossier, Brexit is Screwing Sex Workers, which highlights police racism, illegality and abuse of migrant sex workers, including those of us from the EU. We are also about to launch the second stage of our Make All Women Safe campaign, which highlights the injustice of the law and asks the public to lobby their MPs to support decriminalisation. Watch the video at makeawomensafe.org. Thank you. Want to learn more about the groups we support and how you can support them too? Then head to www.mamacash.org. So we were just talking about how sex work is a feminist issue and relatedly how then sex workers' rights is a feminist issue. And recording here in Amsterdam where sex work is actually legal in the Netherlands. Can you say a little bit about what sex workers actually want? What's an ideal regulation and what are the kind of options we might think about? Well, it's actually kind of a bridge too far to say that sex work is legal in the Netherlands. Uh, that is the legal model that we have uh, in theory. But in practice, um, being a legal independent sex worker is virtually impossible uh, because there's so many strict rules and regulations to abide by in order to, to gain that legal status. Um, and what sex, wor sex workers throughout the, the world want as a legal model is decriminalization. Vera, can you elaborate a bit? Uh, so sex workers' rights uh, uh, luckily are, are getting more and more visibility and the sex worker movement, uh, I want to believe that is getting stronger every day. 
there is sex work organizing uh, in in many countries around the world. And we have one thing in common. It's one step to start having a conversation, and it's that uh, our decisions should be not a crime. And that's why we say sex work should be decriminalized because um, none of our choices should be should be a crime. And this is the first step to start having a conversation and then and therefore depending on each country some each sex worker has their own realities and their own needs but if there is something that we all sex workers want is to be decriminalized but also the society to to stop seeing us as as the mischievous or or as the uh, as the bad of of society right Yeah, that makes me think about a conversation Happy and I actually had on the podcast quite a while ago. And Happy was saying um, kind of how, how much this can be seen to be about basically regulating women's bodies and a, and a moral position on women's pleasure and women's sexuality. And so inhibiting us from taking decisions about our bodies, including being able to generate income from how we use our bodies with others, um, is a is a kind of political effort to to constrain us as women. What do you think about that? And then thinking about the different models that, that exist around the world. Absolutely. Well, this is a very important conversation, uh, and especially where the feminist angle comes in, because some people would see uh, sex work as a pillar of the patriarchy, and it must be dismantled in order to address the power structures that we live under. Um, But of course, by doing so, you deny the agency and the existence of sex workers and their current realities. And, um, you know, the livelihood of sex workers must not be collateral damage to the dismantling of the patriarchy. Um, so we would like to say that we are finessing the patriarchy while we live under this patriarchal and capitalist structures. Um, and, you know, the, these power structures... There is a def uh, there's definitely a link to sex work to make, but you know it's the question whether um, it is the correct way to go to see sex work as the evil in this, and with that the people that practice this. And for some people it goes uh, too far to call it work. Well, if you, as you already mentioned, um, say it is an income generating activity which it is, that becomes increasingly difficult to deny. And then what do we do with this reality that is in front of us? Mm -hmm. And I can I can add to add to the general perception of society to have uh, the good woman or the bad woman. The good woman is the one that is accepted, is normally um, married, and the bad woman is that one that decides to go uh, beyond beyond those uh, decisions of getting married and trying to to make some capital through an erotic force, right, the, herself. And um, good sex is free sex. Good sex is the free sex, and, and bad sex is is that one that, that the woman charges for. And that is extremely patriarchal, indeed, as well. And, and can, I, can I add? Yes, um, please. Because <laughs> this, this narrative of buying sex, it's like, it sounds reasonable and and of course uh, sex workers sell sex but by um, um, 
phrasing it this way, it seems as if sex is bought, while this is not the case. A sex worker provides services. So, for example, if I uh, uh, pay for the services of uh, a cleaner to help me clean my house, I don't buy a clean house. I pay for the services of the cleaner. Um, if I need help with a legal case, I don't buy a good outcome of a legal case. I pay for the time and effort that a lawyer puts in. So this phrasing, it's very insidious and it's very, very harmful. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about, um, you were saying in the, in the beginning, I was saying, you know, technically it's it's legal in the Netherlands and you were complicating that idea and, and giving us a more full picture of what that's like. Um, I also know that it's a very live debate, even in the Netherlands, whereas some people who may come as tourists or be looking from the outside think, oh, it, it is. And OK, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more complicated now after listening to our wonderful podcast. Maybe mm-hmm. they know, but they don't actually know that there's an active political fight going on right now. Can you say a little bit about of that? What's happening now? Yeah. So um, as a sex worker in the Netherlands, you're better off than in a lot of other places. So the legal model definitely helps the rights of sex workers, but um, it's not ideal, especially for how it is uh, implemented since 2000. And actually, um, prostitution wasn't legalized in 2000. Actually, the brothel ban was lifted. Um, Prostitution was never really illegal in the Netherlands. It was always sort of tolerated. Uh, But keeping brothels was illegal from 1911 to 2000. So after 2000, keeping brothels became legal and the existing sex businesses were taken up in the process of legalization and licenses were given out. Um, But after that, the licenses were frozen. So there's only a limited amount of licenses available. So the people uh, who manage sex businesses, escort agencies, brothels, etc., gained a monopoly position. And well, some take advantage of this. Uh, innovation is very uh, difficult to to achieve because there is very limited space on the on the market in the adult industry in the Netherlands. Um, and the debate um, politically and publicly um, changed over time, and not for the better. Um, we currently have a government majority coalition that is part right-wing, part Christian, uh, very, very moralizing. Um, and they've proposed a new uh, national legislation on sex work, uh, the law on regulating sex work. Um, and this doesn't really look good for us. It's uh, It would basically mean that uh, there will be a national registry of sex workers. Um, so everyone... Uh, needs to be registered in order to work legally. Now you can imagine that a national registry of prostitutes is is very interesting uh, for blackmailing, for hackers, for whatever. Um, so we are very concerned about the privacy, uh, people not wanting to register. The minimum age uh, will go up from 18 to 21. Um, so people who are deemed as... Um, more vulnerable because they are younger actually become more vulnerable because they will be illegal now if you work as an illegal sex worker which is just working without the correct license actually um, means that you will be uh, fined with 20,000 euros 
um, clients who visit uh, someone who is unlicensed uh, could face uh, time in prison. Um, there is uh, a pimping ban taken up. And of course, exploitation in any way uh, is already illegal. So it's not actually about pimping, but it's about the third parties around someone who is working without a license. So, for example, someone who protects you, someone who you split rent with at home, um, someone who drives you to an appointment. So all these people could be criminalized under these laws. So there's a lot of really harmful things and all of course under the guise of protecting the bodily integrity of vulnerable people and um, combating trafficking but in reality we know that all these measures are, are very detrimental to the health and safety of sex workers. I just want to add as well that um, we found at the Red Umbrella Fund uh, a German uh, sex worker group called BSD that they do awesome work and um, and uh, they are trying to deal with mandatory registration already in Germany that was implemented two years ago and the consequences we have learned from them that, that have been devastating because uh, there, there has been um, a gap in the law. It has made it very difficult for people to be able to, to register. They, they took so much time to implement the small details of the law and that left in a, in a state of illegality to many workers. Uh, there are, it's impossible now to do any sex work if you are not registered. So a lot of people that decided not to not to be open and public about their, their identities as sex workers are now looking for other sources of income. And I also want to bring that it also helps with the construction of the other. Every registered sex worker now in Germany has to have a special health card that includes certain stars on it. This is what was done many years ago, it, how it started with the Jewish. Yeah, if you start putting in a separate uh, bag to, to people that are already stigmatized, that's that's the beginning of, of, of something really bad. And um, I'm devastated to, to, to live in a context where it, it's true that it's much better the context of legality than in any, any other countries. But what will happen to the Netherlands if, if we go to this mandatory registration, which is extremely problematic? Yeah, and let's let's not um, forget how severe the consequences are when you are outed as a sex worker. It's um, it's almost impossible to obtain a business bank account, to get insurance, to rent a house, to get a mortgage. Um, we have people coming into Proud uh, who have their their children taken away, um, who are uh, evicted from their from their house. The consequences are are very severe. So. Um, just going to register, it's its not an easy decision. And it, Yeah, so it's not neutral. It, it comes yeah. with a lot of risks. And I think um, some of what you're talking about relates to um, our ideas and stigmas about um, um, people who are making the choice to be in sex work m must be unfit in some way, right? That's what that comes down to when people are um, losing their children, for example, when children are being taken away from women. Uh, who are in sex work, it's because of our ideas about a good, what a good woman should be and a good woman shouldn't be doing this. 
And I wanted to ask specifically, going back to Vera, what you were saying about, you said, um, you know, people will go into other forms of income. And of course, for some people, that's the ideal. That's the point of having the legislation in this way and the regulation in this way is to encourage slash force people to exit sex work as an industry. Um, and we know there are particular models that are designed exactly for that purpose. Can you say a little bit about your your take on that? Mm. Well, yes, this all, this just brings us to uh, what we call the end-demand uh, model, which is actually criminalizing the clients. It's a model that started in Sweden, and that is why it's called in, in some activist circles as the Swedish model. And unfortunately, here in Europe, uh, it's been implemented now in Ireland. It's been implemented now in France. It's been implemented now in Israel, Palestine, and it's been impl implemented in Spain, where we are starting to to hear more and more political parties defining themselves as abolitionist parties. Uh, even the word abolition, it's it it's. It can be problematic, and there's so much to say around that. But um, um, many anti, many prohibitionists of sex work define themselves as abolitionists because they want to abolish prostitution. And we say, well, abolish poverty. We don't abolish prostitution because indeed, and maybe I didn't express myself well, indeed many people will try and find other sources of income, but maybe there isn't. We know that poverty is also gendered, and therefore I'm going to ask them back why. Yeah, oftentimes sex work is not the problem. Sex work is the solution to a lot of problems, and um, some people choose to do sex work out of survival to, to make ends meet, uh, uh, do it temporarily or for a longer period of time. Um, and besides, you know, um, picking and choosing who can can choose or decide for themselves what to do. Um, it's just not the reality that we live in that anyone can do anything they like. Um, but, you know, enjoying your work, etc., and having pleasure in your work every day, it, it shouldn't be a precondition. And thinking that it's good, like I'm, I'm not going to wait uh, for you to think that I'm good enough to be deserving of, of labor rights and it's you can't t change the reality around someone so so quickly by taking this option away from them it, it doesn't help um, you can offer exit programs you can uh, help people uh, uh, who who would like to to change jobs of course but for some people it will be the only option and I guess I would also want to be a bit careful there that for some people it is the only option. And so um, if they want another option, we need to tackle the root causes of why they're in this option versus an option they would want. Yes, but a job doesn't have to be validating to be valid. Exactly. It's time for feminist mishaps because nobody's perfect and we're all human. Vera, you were telling me about your feminist mishap. Uh, yes, okay, I'm going to share a quite a personal story and I'm, a, I'm, I'm even a bit embarrassed myself, but I, I guess it will it will help to understand that everyone is in their journeys. Um, as I said, I've been a sex worker for 16 years and I've been in activist circles for about 10, but 
uh, just before I, I was lucky enough to 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 meet people from the movement, I I came out to my family. Um, and um, my father was very, very angry at me when I say that I was working in peep shows and that was my main source of income for the last eight years of my life. Uh, for years, I, I, I was working in red light districts and I was sharing working spaces with people, um, in, with girls that were working in windows. And I was working in strip clubs and I was working with hostesses that will go and have sex with clients. And to me, we were all sisters and, um, and we were all on the same boat. But somehow when I came out to my father, Unconsciously, I I said to to him, but listen, Daddy, I am not having sex with the clients, and um, and I didn't realize that by saying that I was stigmatizing those ones who decided uh, to do it, and this goes in alignment with what has been said about hierarchies. Um, I learned a lot from that mishap uh, because part of my activism was to try and build bridges between uh, people from from many different backgrounds in the industry, and um, and um, after years and years uh, of trying to have a relationship with with my parents, eventually they got it. But I have to say that at that time, uh, for my father, uh, it didn't make any difference. And and I was still far from from him for about five years. Uh, So I hope that I... Everyone can can be human, and everyone can make mistakes. and And I hope that I I, I made it up for that mishap. <laughs> Thanks a lot for sharing. Do you have a feminist blunder of your own? Send us your confessions anonymously, if you wish, and we may share it on a future episode. You can reach us on Twitter at mamacash or by email at t at mamacash.org. So we've been talking a lot about decriminalization, legalization, regulation, and everything in between. What exactly is the difference between decriminalization and legalization? So legalization uh, still entails a lot of uh, strict rules and regulations. Um, and of course, it's it's normal for a sex business to be regulated in a certain way because there's health and safety issues uh, to think about. Um, But decriminalizing, as is the case in New Zealand, um, uh, which I visited recently, it changes the the legal position of the sex worker and sex business managers. Um, It really says sex work is work and you are protected by the law in in doing so. So you have your workers' rights respected. And it changes um, the way that you would interact with health workers, with um, uh, other care providers with um, the, with the police. Uh, we heard a story there um, where there was a sex worker working in the streets, and there was a client who refused to pay, and the police was uh, was called and came to the situation, and the police officer actually took the client to the ATM and made him pay. Now that is something that in a legal context here in the Netherlands we do not see, and oftentimes when someone is working. Uh, illegally working without a license or even within the legal context with that legal status um, the police would respond differently 
or would tell the sex worker to give the money back to the client to solve the situation. So yeah, the the distance that is felt uh, towards police in particular, and so also um, to access justice is different in these contexts. So legalization is definitely a good step, but decriminalization would be better and it would be a starting point to address the stigma on sex work. So is that basically what sex worker rights activists are advocating for around the world? Yes. So I just want to say that New Zealand is the only country that has decriminalization in the whole country. Um, South Wales of Australia uh, has had a decriminalization model for a while now. And the Northern Territory of Australia just passed recently uh, a law that will allow also a decriminalization model. There are more and more countries in the world that are looking into this model, particularly to give also another example, South Africa. Uh, and and we are in the right track, but it's very sad that at the same time that some countries are looking into decriminalization, there are other countries that are looking into the end demand model. And it's important to listen what sex workers want. And what are some of the examples of of interesting activism you think we should know about around sex workers' rights? Well... Um There is a particular agency, the agency that I worked for actually, um, that is very idealistic and feminist in its own right, because this is a lesbian escort agency. And we see this worldwide, that there are more and more female clients. And, you know, starting the conversation on uh, on client stigma and on uh, an active female sexuality, I think that the stoute vrouw, the naughty woman, um, is doing a lot in their own regard uh, for this conversation. Mm. Yes, and in terms of sex workers' rights organizing, uh, the movement, I personally think it's fascinating because I think sex work is kind of inherited to humanity and, and sex work happens in 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 every part of this world and uh, just I'm just going to mention around the networks there are so many different uh, uh, sex worker groups it, it can be like a local group of people trying to find that municipal law or doing some actions against stigma. It can be a national uh, group that tries to change uh, the global, uh, sorry, the national law in the country and, and is connected uh, in, in different spaces. But there are also regional networks uh, that try and connect uh, the actions of all the different gr- groups that happen. So we are actually quite connected for example, in, in Latin America, we have two sex, different sex worker regional networks. In Europe, we have three different uh, sex worker regional networks. In, in Asia Pacific, we have uh, another sex worker regional network. In Africa, we have two, an English-speaking one and a recently created one, uh, and French-speaking one as well. And then we have a global network of sex workers projects, which uh, includes between 200 and 300 groups in their membership and and it's fighting on a global policy and it is important that we we can be connected not only locally but also globally because when you look at the the realities and the struggles of sex workers 
the context can be very different, but we all suffer from a stigma, and the stigma is something that touches us all. And it is important to, to, to be part of a global movement as well. Yeah, and we have links with, with the LGBTI uh, rights movement, uh, ILGA Europe and ILGA World uh, support the decriminalization of, uh, of sex work. And ILGA is? ILGA is an, uh, an umbrella organization for LGBTI uh, organizations, either in Europe and other regions, uh, and also a worldwide uh, umbrella organization. Um, and we fought hard in New Zealand, actually, to, uh, to get a resolution on decriminalizing sex work. And of course, we hope um, for more feminist organizations to reach out to sex workers in their communities as well. Um, another local initiative that I'm very proud of, where um, Proud was involved with as well, uh, is a local uh, trans health clinic um, where sex workers teamed up with uh, with trans organizations um, to save each other's lives, basically, because the um, trans health um, tr yeah the trans health clinics in in the Netherlands are a big mess. Um, and a lot of people can't get access to uh, to the medication they need or the, the surgeries that they want. Um, so we teamed up with a team of doctors uh, that are trans themselves uh, and just made a grassroots gender clinic. Amazing. And um, Vera, you work for a funder that's run by and for sex workers, the Red Umbrella Fund, which is hosted at Mama Cash. And of course, Mama Cash also funds sex worker rights activism. From your perspective, what's the funding situation like for sex worker rights activists? Indeed. Uh, thank you. Good question. Um, there is not enough money to fund sex workers' rights, and it is very difficult uh, to find funders that are supportive of sex workers' rights. And I would like to see that also in comparison with the amount of funding that goes into anti-trafficking programs that do not respect the consent of many sex workers. So it is not only the lack of sex workers' rights, it's also the huge amount of funding that goes into into those uh, uh, prohibitionists uh, anti-trafficking discourses. Um, luckily, uh, there are few uh, supporters. Uh, Mama Cash is one of them. It's quite unique in their feminist approach. I think uh, the strategy is fantastic that we are hosted by Mama Cash because indeed. Uh, sex workers are a feminist issue. We have been funding since 2012, and uh, every year we open a call, and I think the numbers can talk by themselves. Uh, this year we received nearly 200 applications. Out of those 200, uh, uh, about 120 were eligible. Uh, uh, sex worker groups and out of those 120 we have been able to make 30 grants that we will be making this next year and this is just to show uh, that there are so many groups that are trying to organize to get a to get a better society but there is not enough funding to to fund the good work that they are doing so in addition to pressing that donate button on our pages to contribute more to funding for sex worker rights activism, what else can people do to support sex workers and sex workers' rights? Invite us at the table, if you already have a seat at the table. Um, pass the mic, if possible. Um, 
speak to sex workers, listen to sex workers, um, learn about sex worker rights issues and the related health rights, safety rights, labor rights. Um, and, you know, regardless of, of your personal opinion or what you would do in such a situation, just respect the autonomy and agency of the sex worker. And can you say a little bit about the phrase we know of that's so important to the movement? Nothing about us without us. Yeah, it basically, yeah, that's it. It it implies a, a meaningful participation of sex workers in the policy and decision making that concerns them, um, which is uh, an important concept for any marginalized group. Um, yeah, so practicing meaningful participation, it takes responsibility and certain flexibility, um, but it 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 gives great great results in terms of effectiveness and inclusiveness. And on that, well, on that, I would like to share a poem that I think it it fits uh, very well today. This is a a poem that's been uh, played at the Sex Workers Opera, which I've been uh, lucky enough to be part of as well since since its beginnings. Uh, it's a it's a sex work activist project, and um, and it's the whole show is been made by sex sex worker stories that they have been sending from many different countries around the world. I want to dedicate this poem to every sex worker who had a friend and uh, and who felt uh, rejected by by this friend at some point in their lives. Um, it's been written by an anonymous sex worker and it's called Mosaic. She sat in front of me and she told me I had sold myself. I confusedly answered, but I'm still here. And she just ignored me, and though I wasn't. Today, I'm bringing stories that map my life journey. Story songs that sing about love and hate and anger. I will be sharing these stories with you. Is this selling myself too? It seems that sex is all you see. Well, then I think you see me in 2D because the actual reality is a mosaic blur, a tapestry. I'm finger teeth and flesh and bone and I fight for rights to walk safe home. I'm a screaming mess with a casual lean. I'm lonely, loved and in between. My arms are nurture, loving is, and forcing clients onto their knees. I don't fit what you think of me, not he or she, not forced, just be. So if you can see me for more than sex and can see that I deserve respect, don't like my work or understand, well, my safety shouldn't be in your hands. So, put aside your gallantry because it's time for a new strategy. Stop sadly singing my elegy. Radical notion? Listen to me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
You can find Mama Cash on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or at www.mamacash.org. And you can find this podcast, Tea with Mama Cash, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you think what we do is important and you want to help us support women, girls, trans, and intersex activists around the world, there are many things you can do. You can, of course, donate via our website. You can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more people. Or, better yet, you can recommend Tea with Mama Cash to a friend who cares about feminism too. You can also always reach us with questions, feedback, or ideas on email at tea at mamacash.org. And if you'd like to reach our guests... Uh, yes, uh, you can contact the Red Umbrella Fund at uh, info at redumbrellafund.org. Alternatively, you can write me an email at vera at redumbrellafund.org. You can visit our website. You can visit our Twitter account. And we also have a Facebook page. Thank you. You can reach Proud through info at wijzijnproud.nl or reach me, velvet, at wijzijnproud.nl. And of course, check Proud Nederland's uh, Twitter and Facebook account. And we'll include all these links in the show notes. That's it for us for this episode. Thank you so much once again, Sora. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Velvet. It's always a pleasure sharing spaces with you. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks a lot to Velvet and Vera, our special guest today. And this is your host, Zora Musa, signing off until the next time. This podcast was produced by Amanda Gigler, Mike Mirkovich, and Sophia Sewell, my colleagues at Mama Cash. And of course, I'd like to extend a special thanks to Vera Rodriguez and Velvet December for joining us today. 